0: And we're coming now to our time in God's Word. We're, we're going to be in the last chapter of Genesis. We've been in Genesis for a long time. Genesis 50 today, uh, verses 15 through 21. And guess what? We're actually going to spend three sermons on just this passage because it is so very key. But before we begin, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would make your word come alive through the Spirit right now. That you would use it to build us up in the faith, to prune away that which is holding us back from experiencing the life that you would have for us. Meet us now and be with your people in Jesus' name, Amen. So there's an old uh, there's an old Greek myth, and uh, it's about a kid named Phaethon, and Phaethon. He he didn't know who his father was, but his mother always told him it was Helios, the sun god. Some of you guys may have heard this story, and and he wouldn't believe her. And she said, "Well, you know, you should just go visit uh, the sun god and ask him." And so he does. That seems like a sensible proposition. And so he walks up, and he can barely stand the 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 glare off of the palace of the sun god, right? And so he goes in, and quite an impressive sight, there were planets there apparently, and the sun god himself on the throne, and he, he looks at him and he says, ah, uh, my son Phaethon, welcome. He says, I'm really your son? He says, yeah. He said, but how do I really know I'm your son? C- could, you, could you prove it somehow? And, and Helios says, look, I swear by the river Styx, which is totally binding for Greek gods, I swear by the river Styx, uh, anything you ask any, anything that will convince you if I could do it, I'll do it. And so Phaethon says, okay, here's what I want. I want to drive the sun chariot for one day because the sun's a chariot. Um, and he says, no, you, son, I, I'll do it. Cause I swore by the river sticks. I'm, I'm totally locked in now, but you don't want to do this. I could barely do it. You see the takeoff is super steep I hang on for dear life to the horses that drive the chariot and then and then as I'm going across the midday it's so high up there I'm terrified to look down and then you got all these constellations up there like Taurus the bull you got to avoid the horns and Scorpio's tail you got to worry about that and then then the landing is no picnic either he says you don't want to do this but but Phaethon would not listen so Phaethon gets into the sun chariot and away they go and as soon as he is driving the sun chariot, the horses feel that, the, that there's someone very light in the chariot. And they feel how weak his grip is on the reins. And so the horses go veering off course because he can't control them. And, and the sun comes too close to the earth. And it, it apparently created the Sahara Desert, right? Like this, it was once all verdant green and it burned it. And it's, it's leveling mountains and it's destroying cities. And, and earth is like crying out to Zeus, saying, You know, the smoke's going to kill me here. And so Zeus left with no choice strikes him down with the thunderbolt. That's kind of his one solution to things. When when someone tries to take a responsibility that is too big for them, the result is disaster. Now, we know there's no sun god, but there is a true god. And when we Try to take on God's responsibilities ourselves, it is just as disastrous as Phaethon trying to drive the Sun Chariot. When we think that because we don't understand why God is doing something a certain way that that God can't be doing it right, we think we could do God's job better. We think that we could stand in the place of judgment on other people. There are all kinds of ways that we try to take God's responsibilities as our own. But one of the main messages, and we're going to see this in Genesis 50, one of the main messages of Genesis is that God is God and you are not. Therefore, let God be God. Let's get into the text. As I said we're spending three weeks here. We're at the very end. And when you get to the very end of a story, the last scene, the conclusion is especially important, don't you think? And the, 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 the last words of Joseph that we're going to see here actually capture the entire message of Genesis. Isn't that amazing? Let's take a look. It says, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, that th- their father is Jacob, they said... It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. Refresher, the evil they did to him was throw him in a pit, leave him to die, and then change their minds and sell him into slavery in Egypt. Quite evil indeed. 17 years ago, they had reconciled. Joseph had brought his brothers and his whole, their whole family down to Egypt, had given them land, had forgiven them, And here the brothers think that Joseph was just waiting till their father was in the ground, and now he's going to take out his revenge on us. And so they send a message in verse 16. They sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgression of your brothers, and their sins because they did evil to you and now please forgive the transgressions of the servants of the God of your father Joseph wept when they spoke to him now very probably those brothers the, Jacob never said that the brothers are making it up because we have no we have no indication that Jacob ever said that but well might Joseph weep he had forgiven his brothers He had provided for them for 17 years. And here they suspect that he has just been waiting to take his revenge. Verse 18, his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. Now the servants, it's a little lost in translation. They're saying, we're your slaves. It's like spare our lives, enslave us do you realize this is the exact flip-flop situation once his brothers sold him into slavery now his brothers are offering themselves into slavery might be tempting if you were a vengeful person but look at what Joseph now says and here is the high point here is the the guy who gets God the most in the book of Genesis he says but Joseph said to them do not fear For am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So the first part of what Joseph says is, Am I in the place of God? He says, I am not God. to to be their judge, to take the place of God would be wrong. And you may, when we get to the end of the story, we're invited to think of the whole story, right? You may make the connection that Joseph's words are the dead opposite of Satan's words to the the man and woman in the garden. What did he say to them? If you eat the fruit, what's going to happen? You will be like God. The temptation in the garden was to stand in the place of God, to be your own authority, to be autonomous apart from God. What does Joseph say at the end of Genesis? Am I in the place of God? That is simply not for me. The message to his people back then and now is God is God and we are not. Let God be God. Let God God be God now what does it mean to let God be God we're reaching the end of the book that introduced God to his people the Exodus generation they didn't have any idea who their God Yahweh was and the book of Genesis tells you his backstory what do we see in Genesis who is God revealed to be and therefore what do we need to leave alone in what ways do we need to let God be God Well, first of all, he is author. Second, he is judge. Third, he is savior. Yes, that's the outline. Author, judge, and savior. We need to let God be the author. Now, this is how the whole Bible starts off. Genesis 1 and 2. Creation. How does God want his people to know him first and foremost? That He's the creator of all things. You see, to to an ancient Israelite. They had grown up in Egypt as slaves and they had been raised on Amun ra and that sort of thing. And there were gods of the sky and gods of the crops and whatnot. Who is God? He doesn't just rule. He doesn't just occupy a certain area of creation. He is the creator. He is the author, which means that God is the one who defines what reality is and also he gets to define who they are you see for them they were brought up to believe that they were property because they were slaves but the Egyptians do not get to define God's people God does he is both creator and King so what he says when you are author what you say is authoritative when you made it, you own it, make sense? If, if you know, if Beyonce was working on a new record and she wrote the whole thing and I'm over there like, you know what, you should call it, you should call it such and such. With, with, like, is she gonna be open to that suggestion? She would be like, no, get out of my studio, old guy. You know, I made this, I name it. She is the author and therefore has authority. And I think that this is a place where we really, really struggle letting God be God, letting God be author. I, I, I read a story once of, um, there's a very ancient book uh, written by a guy named Xenophon. And it's while he was traveling through what's now Turkey, he wasn't traveling, he was running for his life, but you know, he saw some sights along the way. And he came to this one tribe, and they, they, they had a king who would sit up on a high scaffold from where he would hand out his kingly judgments and decrees, right? So clearly this dude was in charge. He was the authority, right? But when he said something they didn't like, they would refuse to raise food up to him. Like this was a scaffold so high, you needed like a rope and pulley to get up and down. So when he said something they didn't like, they would starve him until he changed what he said. So what appears to be this people and submitted to his authority is in reality him submitted to theirs. That is how many people who claim to be under the authority of God actually treat God. We do not let God be author. You see this in all kinds of ways. There was a, a, someone sent me a, a recent YouTube video of, of all these prophets that were on the internet and on TV prophesying trump's second term even after the election i don't care how you voted but clearly these people were saying god has said when god had not said they were taking god's authority when god hadn't given it to them makes sense or a lot of the time and i know that i'm going to get some silent amens because you're not sure how to respond to this one there are pastors who treat their church like they're the, they're the king of their church instead of Jesus? Just in the way that that we develop technology raises some serious questions about whether it's appropriate. Like gene editing, there's all kinds of ways that human beings are taking the authority of God to themselves. We also see this frequently. I've noticed that people are committed to following God's word until it says something they don't like. And And then you get some dodges. You get some tap dancing. You know, you get things like, oh, well, that was just their culture. And, you know, Paul was from this culture, so that's his cultural prejudice. He's like culturally bound. Does no one ever realize that you're from a culture too, you know? And I've heard that when, when it, it rubs up against the left on issues of gender and sexuality. Oh, well, we don't need to listen to that. That's just culturally bound. I've heard it on the right when we see the the clear uh, uh, mandate that, that, you know, we need to welcome the immigrant. And they're like, no, no, that's that culture, not ours. We, we're going to obey the authority of God's word until it says something we don't like. Just even for people who are like oh yeah those dirty dogs who don't follow the Bible like me (laughs) often how I behave and live my life says I don't believe God has authority over me my money my life my career my body my house the question is if you're sitting there acting as though everything you have is actually yours and under your authority How much of it did you create? Are you author of any of it, or does it all come from God's hand? God is God, and we are not. We must let God be author. We must also let God be judge. Now, what does a a judge mean biblically? Well, it's someone who upholds justice and punishes evil. We have seen God as judge in Genesis, haven't we? And we remember the flood that would be a a prime example there or Sodom and Gomorrah where God upholds justice and punishes evil not a main theme in Genesis but it's certainly how God is revealed now some of us are uncomfortable with the idea of God as judge and very comfortable with ourselves as judge you know once um back when I was uh, doing music we we switched managers and, um, and our old manager was, was actually a personal friend. And, and as our new management company was going through our finances, they, they realized, you know they called me one day and, and were like, hey, you guys are $500,000 in debt. And we said, begging your pardon? Because <laughs> we were doing great at that time. We were working really hard and we were quite successful. How are we half a mil in debt? And the answer was, and I'm not gonna give you details here, That it's because of your prior manager he had done some inappropriate things with the finances and now you're half a million in the hole now I don't know if you guys have ever (laughs) found out you're half a million dollars in debt and it's somebody's fault but my heart was full of judgment It was full of anger. I didn't just want the money back. I wanted to punish this dude for that betrayal. I'm talking about staying up at night, angry about it. And instead of giving it to God, trying to figure out a way to make this guy hurt enough to where I would feel like we were square. I know you guys have never done anything like that. That's never been in your hearts, right? No, of course it has. Because we have a hard time letting God be judge we want to take that role of judge for ourselves if you have ever said you know I'm just really discerning I could size someone up in five minutes that is not the gift of discernment that is you making yourself a judge if you're holding on right now to past wrong how someone has wronged you and you cannot let it go you kill them in your heart you trash their reputation you're trying to put yourself in the place of God by being judge if if when someone in your household wrongs you you carry out judgment on them through a little snark through some cold shoulder through some taking out of your anger if you're someone who looks down on others You know, I do this a lot. I'm like, man, look at these people on social media. I erased my social media. I'm on the moral high ground now, right? I'm I'm making myself into judge, into a judge. This is, this is, there's so much of this in our lives. It's like breathing for us, right? We must let God be judge. Why? Because God is God and we are not. Now, if God were only judge, we wouldn't have gotten any farther than Genesis chapter 3, because would, that would have been the end. The, the first parent, our first parents would have sinned and been gone, and that's it. But God, God is revealed mainly in the book of Genesis and on through the Bible as Savior. We see that Joseph actually acknowledges this when he says he says am I in the place of God right taking that's where he's saying it's not for me to judge but also in verse 19 he says uh, in verse 20 whether he says as for you you meant it for evil against me but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today and Joseph is of course talking about how God put him in place to save up all the excess grain for all those years to then provide for people during the famine so that they would not starve. Joseph doesn't say, I provided for you. Joseph doesn't say, I saved them. He says, God did through him. And we we have seen this many times in Genesis, haven't we? For those of you who have been around for the series, we've seen God deliver Abraham. We've seen God deliver Lot. We saw God deliver Hagar twice out of the wilderness, didn't we? We saw God deliver Jacob out of the hands of Esau. We now have seen God deliver the the sons of Jacob through someone they tried to kill and then enslave. God is Savior. We are not. You know, one of the things that they drove into our heads in seminary is this: this one story, where John the Baptist is out preaching, and this delegation from Jerusalem comes to him, and they hear about what he's saying, and they think, "This could this be the Messiah?" And so they go to John and they say, "Hey, are you the one we've been waiting for? Are you the Messiah?" You know what John says? People who were in seminary, what, is, what did John say? He said, "I am not the Savior." And they said. You remember that. You know why? Because you are not the savior, savior. And we so badly want to be. I have wanted to be. When I see a loved one or a church member going down a path of self destruction, and you pray for them and you plead with them, but nothing you can say will move their heart, and you feel personally responsible, you are not their Savior. When, when you say, I am going to take control of my life. I'm going to get it all together so that nothing wrong ever happens again in my life. My life's going to be butter from here on out because of how in control I'm going to be. Guess what, folks? You are not your Savior. When we become angry at God, because we say why haven't you intervened in this situation i'm watching this i'm watching this loved one die of a disease or something horrible has gone wrong in their life why haven't you saved them god you know why we're angry it's because we think we could do a better job of savior as savior but we always need to remember that god is god and we are not we must let god be savior We must let him be author, judge, and savior. You know, when I say that you you realize I'm not saying do anything. I'm saying don't do something right. That's a lot harder sometimes than we realize, like not doing something. That's a reflex is sometimes like impossible. It it is, it is to my shame that I'm going to admit, admit to you guys, I've lived in Colorado for 10 years. I can't really downhill ski. And so I've opted for cross country. Uh, and, and the reason is, is because when, when it comes to balls that are in my court, I'm pretty good at that. Like, you know, with cross country skiing, you do the kicking glide, I'm all over it. No problem, I could zoom. In fact, the uphill doesn't bother me. I, I, I'm, I'm totally bragging right now and I'm gonna do it. Just, here it is. I can go uphill, literally with pulling a ski trailer with two children in it, And one child on skis hanging off the back. I have done this up a steep hill. Sharon is my witness. You know what's hard for me? The downhill. You know why? Because there's nothing you can do except go with it. And I find that very challenging. I want to be in control. But every time I come to a hill, I start tensing up. And what happens? I fall. Just because I can't stop doing something. And so, like a couple weeks ago, I was out, and, and I came to a hill. I'm like, okay, I'm going to get it this time. And I tensed up, and I, I fell. But then I came to the second hill, and I fell then, too. But then on the third one, I, I, just, I didn't even slow down. I said, I'm not even thinking. Here, I, I'm, I'm going to not think. And I just I, I was able finally to lean forward, exhale, and do nothing, which is, which is so hard for me. And guess what? The skis just kind of did their thing. Look, we are going to have to fight this impulse to try and be author, to claim God's authority as our own, to try and be judge and try and be savior. But a huge part of walking with God and being God's people is knowing when we're trying to take over and let God be God. Please pray with me. Father God, I I pray that you would help us to have the wisdom to see where we're trying to grab the wheel out of your hands and simply let you drive. I pray that we could have the peace and the joy that comes from knowing that our God is in control. In Jesus' name, amen.